0: Scott, we welcome you back again. Scott for that enlightening discussion last week on GC 2020. It was very well received. This morning he's gonna to talk to us about the transfiguration. So let's welcome Scott. I got all kind of things I've been thinking about, but we're not talking about last week again. <laughs> I, well, let me say this. So you had the list of the bishops' sessions. I gave Doug my slides. On the last page, be sure to look at the links, watch the FAQ, listen to the bishop's message, and it also has the schedule of the, of, of as well as who the delegates are, if you want to talk to delegates directly. So, you know, I, I was I was thinking as you were playing your Teletubbies thing, Doug, that that, that actually fits in with our discussion last mm-hmm. week, because... uh in the late 90s, Jerry Falwell was concerned about the Teletubbies because Tinky Wink, the purple one, was purple. Which means he's gay and he has a triangle in his head. So he was concerned that he was a gay role model. I don't think the Teletubbies are anything, right? They're just creepy. That's all I don't know. They beat the heck out of Peppa Pig, if y'all have grandkids and have to listen to that's creepy, too. Yeah, that's just that's just rude. Um, let's see, what else was on my list? Uh, this last week, I was in, well, this weekend, I was in D.C. with my little brother, and if y'all have not been up to see the new African American Museum at the Smithsonian, you ought to. You can finally get in without having to have a timed ticket, which means you don't have to plan quite so much. It's really good. It's really good. It's, it's, a, it's, it's really super well done. Uh, and it will take you a while. It's still crowded, uh, even though you don't have to have a time ticket, but it's not like it was before, right? So I recommend that. The last thing on the recommending is is we're about, we're going to talk about transfiguration, which leads us into Lent. I guess I put slides, huh? So we'll talk about about transfiguration and how and as it leads us into Lent. A thing to think about, how many of y'all have been down to the Biblical History Center, formerly known as Explorations in Antiquity? Cool. Go again. Go again. Um, I started on the board. I'm now on the board down there. And throughout Lent, they're having special Lenten tours. Follow the cross through the gardens. For anybody who grew up Catholic, it sounds remarkably like Stations of the Cross, right? Which is a profound thing, you know, so do that. Um, and it's it's their their sort of seasonal tour, and it's, it's really good. They're, they do a good job down there. Um I have to say that I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to talk about as we go along today. This is a, a thing that kind of stuck in my mind, but it hadn't like completely gelled. So I'll figure it out as I go along. Right? But today is Transfiguration Sunday. Now, it's an important day in the liturgical calendar. Right? <laughs> so we, we talked about this a long time ago. We we talked uh, about the liturgical calendar and how that fits in with, with our experience throughout the Christian year. When does the year begin? Advent. Advent. Our year begins with Advent. And mm-hmm. and the liturgical year is basically split into three cycles that begin that are, are, are organized with a period of preparation, and then a festival, and then a period after that, a season of kind of reflection, right? That that the Methodist Church is given different names, but but the broader church is called ordinary time. Not because it's ordinary, but because it's ordinal, like ordinal numbers. It's counted Sundays, so many Sundays. And, and these cycles are built around Christmas, Advent, a Christmas festival, and then, then then a time after Christmas, ordinary time after after Christmas, Lent, period of Easter, and then a long ordinary time after Easter. Now, in the Christmas cycle, the season of Christmas ends with Epiphany. Okay, and then the ordinary time, which the Methodist Church calls the season of Epiphany, begins, and that goes all the way up to Ash Wednesday. Mardi Gras Tuesday—that means Ash Wednesday is is Wednesday, right? And and that's a time where we begin a new season in the church. Transfiguration Sunday is the last Sunday of of ordinary time of Epiphany, regardless of when that is. It might be the seventh, like this year. It might be the ninth, right? Because who can keep track of when Easter is, right? This has been a problem in the church since day one, right? It used to be that the bishops would send around a letter and remind their their, their parishes, here's when Easter is this year, because ain't nobody could figure it out. But so to so, so the transfiguration, we remember each year just before we head into a season of Advent. Now, Epiphany starts the season. What happens on Epiphany? What do we commemorate at Epiphany? The Magi. What else? What does Epiphany mean? Epiphany means the revelation, the appearance. We actually have 3 celebrations that go together on Epiphany. The Magi is the one we think of, but also it's when we we remember Jesus presentation in the temple where he's presented and we remember Jesus baptism, right? Those all kind of go together. Now, interestingly, when Jesus and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, Suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. That's a good way to start the season. But those, those are memorable words that we remember from Jesus' baptism, right? That's kind of what we, well, that's very much what we call a theophany. So a theophany is a big old church word that says it's an unambiguous manifestation of God. Where unambiguous means whomever is experiencing it has no doubt that God is revealing God's self to them, right? So the people involved in the baptism see the dove and hear the voice. Now, there's folks who debate who actually saw that, whether it was Jesus only or whether it was the crowds. Nonetheless, as I read it, it's it's the people there saw the dove and heard the voice. God appeared to them. God. Yeah that was not the no it's not that's okay. that's we're starting with epiphany we're kind of bookending. we're going to book in the season right so so can you think of another theophany a time where we we see in scripture where God sticks in really hard well yes Moses is a great one right Moses in the burning bush there's another time and so so the lectionary yeah yeah well so is that God doing it or is that Joseph, uh, the angel doing it Right, right, right. But the key with theophany is that God, God's self comes in. Paul, yes, when Jesus appeared to Paul. Sure. So the lectionary reading for today, the Old Testament. So the lectionary is the series of readings that that the church broadly has for the readings for each Sunday. So it uses Exodus 24. It says, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he, God, called to Moses out of the cloud now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and nights that cloud with the voice of God coming out of it to the people of Israel was absolutely a theophany they knew that God was on that mountain right and and they call it the glory of the Lord and you know we read later on that as Moses came out that, that, you know, he was kind of glowing, and he scared everybody. So they made him wear a veil, because he scared everybody. So, the transfiguration. Can you remember the story? You told us the story, right? So, my little brother and I were talking about this this weekend, because I was with him. And he's like, yeah, I can tell you transfiguration. He went up on a mountain, and some weird stuff happened. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. time no, no, no! This is way after. So baptism, the baptism is at the beginning, and this is one of the interesting things about their Christian year, right? The, the Jesus baptism is at the very start of his ministry. The transfiguration is right before he turns his face and says, "We're going to Jerusalem," which is why it's right before Ash Wednesday and the Lenten journey, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Elijah in the cave, yeah, yeah. He sees the the, the silence, right? Um, and so, so. Yeah, the transfiguration is, is at the end. And so that's kind of interesting within that cycle of the calendar, because within the calendar, we go through Jesus' entire life represented within the year. We begin with Advent as we're anticipating. We go to Christmas. We go to throughout the season. And this is the thing that, that, that is interesting. We really compress Jesus' earthly ministry into that ordinary time between Christmas and Lent. Right, we didn't reflect on it later on, but but we go from anticipating the birth to the birth to the appearance of Jesus, whether from the Magi or in the temple or his baptism, through his ministry to Ash Wednesday, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, Resurrection, and then we have the long period of Ordinary Time where we live in in the kingdom and understand, try to understand. Uh, uh, what Jesus has taught us and how to go through with it. But in terms of the story, we kind of squish it, right? So it's easy to get things jumbled and in and, and sequence, out of sequence. But it's interesting that we begin with Epiphany and we end with Transfiguration where Jesus does go on the mountain. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them to a high mount, up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun, And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. That's kind of cool. A bright cloud overshadowed them. That sounds familiar. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And that's fascinating to me that we begin with Epiphany. What did God say? when Jesus came up from his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And at the transfiguration, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the voice of God says, listen to somebody, that's kind of a clue. That's kind of a clue. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's a fascinating way that it brackets. Now, the transfiguration is like, like you said, it's like, what does that look like? What does this even mean? How do we understand the fact that Moses and Elijah have come back. This is a, a clip out of Bellini's painting of the Transfiguration that's in the Vatican. It's 159 inches high. The whole bottom part is the rest of the chapter, right? As they come down off the mountain, uh, uh, Jesus heals the demoniac boy that the disciples were unable to heal, right? And there's a whole story around that. But in the Transfiguration, what do we see? I mean... We got Jesus. How can we tell who these two guys next to him are? Okay. Moses has the tablets. And 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 so what does he represent? The law. Elijah has a bunch of writing. What does he represent? The prophets, the prophets. The prophets. And so so Jesus is elevating himself here. He's he's talking with the representation of the law and the prophets he's not casting them aside, certainly remember God, he said he was the fulfillment, but he's, he's 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 there with them, but the glory of the Lord is clearly coming through him as opposed to somewhere else now these guys they're not mentioned in the biblical story right at all, but you know this is a painting from the time of of the Medicis, and you always had whoever paid for the painting got painted into the scene right <laughs> so that's what's happening there. um Some people say it's two of the other saints, but still they weren't there anyways right i think I think that I read that that it was thought to be the patron saints of the the folks who paid for it, okay, fine, fine, yeah whatever but um, but the thing is that this is kind of the picture you see where it 's this amazing transcendent glowing experience but you know to me as amazing as that is there's more to this story that that we kind of are missing and and don't always click on one of the things that struck me as i read this is he took he took peter and james and john and i got to thinking we always hear about peter and james and john and i went back and i looked through the entire gospel of matthew when does another disciple besides peter say anything So they'll say, the disciples said, or the disciples asked, right? The next time a disciple speaks by name, the only other time a disciple speaks by name in Matthew is when Judas goes to the council and says, how much will you pay me? (coughs) And, And what struck me there is how much, as you read through Matthew's gospel, how much of the time... The disciples, the disciples, as a group, ask questions and receive teachings. But Jesus appears to me to be really mentoring Peter. He's working hard with Peter. And I think that that we set ourselves into that, that role as well, and that's okay. We can hear those questions and those things that Peter does and where he succeeds and where he doesn't succeed. But it just struck me as really interesting that nobody else by name talks. The closest they come is when James and John's mom comes and says, hey, Jesus, how about making my boys number one and number two? And Jesus speaks directly to them, but it's the sons of the wife of Zebedee, not James and John saying it, right? So Peter's the only guy who gets his, gets his name called out. and And I think that it strikes me that if he's the only one that, that has his name used, then that's another case of pay attention. To, pay attention to what, what he's doing. Pay attention to how he tries to follow Jesus and how he succeeds and how he fails and how he's strengthened along the way. So we can learn a lot from Peter. So if we go back and look at Peter. There's a few really interesting things. Now, now where we began now is the transfiguration comes in the 17th, Chapter of Matthew. For several chapters before that, Jesus starts out with, with teaching to the crowds, and then he hears about John the Baptist having been killed, and they withdraw. But the crowd follows, and we see the feeding of the 5,000. And then they get on the boat and go out to continue to withdraw, right? And to get away for a little while. But it moves quickly. It moves very quickly through Jesus teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching till it's bookended again by a whole other section of a lot of parables. So it's kind of like crowds and then he withdraws and is teaching the disciples with Peter asking questions till we get to another big section of parables, which is the broader crowd, right? And that's kind of the, 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 the span what's going on through here. So as they leave from the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, he came walking towards them on the sea. But the disciples saw him on the sea and they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So they're all scared. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Peter's the only one who has his name. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him. I think that's a significant thing as well, and we'll come back to it in a minute. But so Peter is is the one who impetuously steps out in faith. And and then when he realizes what he's doing, begins to sink. They go along with Jesus' teaching. Jesus is, is explaining things to the disciples. And Peter says, Exp- explain the parable to us. And Jesus says, are you still lacking understanding also? Are, are you still not getting this? Right? But... Peter speaks up to ask, right? Whereas we see a lot of times the disciples are like, they go talk to each other. What the heck was that about? You know, rather than asking Jesus, Peter's like, what is this? And Jesus is like, let's try this one more time. But but I think it's important that, again, Peter is the one that is engaging directly with Jesus. Which leads to, the next chapter along, a really fascinating section where Peter says, so Jesus is talking, teaching the disciples, and he says, who do the people say that the son of man is? And, and and Peter pipes up, Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Jesus is good answer. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. I also say to you that you're Peter. And upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. To me, this is, again, kind of a fascinating section because we can read this in a lot of different ways. He says... You're the one, you're Peter. You appear to be full of faith and steadfast, okay? You stumble, but you still are steadfast. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now we can read that. What's the rock? What is the rock? Whose? Okay, so does that mean upon Peter's faith, we're going to build the church? Or is the this, this rock, because he says, I did not reveal this to you. And then he also refers to, and he says, you are the son of the living God. You didn't reveal this is the thing the church is built on, the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that Peter recognizes it and has faith in it, right? There's some ambiguity, but they're important things. Yeah. No, Simon is his Jewish name. And so, so, so we call him Peter because Jesus says, you're the rock. Peter is Petra in Petros in Greek, which means rock, right? So Jesus gave him a new name, the rock and he went on to appear in the Scorpion King and then what's the yeah. one where he drove and you know big guy who went into wrestling, you know. <laughs> it's called Dwayne Johnson as well, you know. <laughs> Who's actually a cool guy. He's he's a good guy. He's a but um but yes, he gave him it's it's not quite like it's more like it's more like when we think about Jacob receiving the name Israel, right? And given a new name by Jesus. Paul is kinda different in that Saul Paul I mean Saul is the Jewish version of Paul. Paul is the Greek version. And if he's hanging out with Greek folks, they call him Paul. If he's hanging out with Jewish people, I'm sure they kept calling him Saul, right? And he was writing from the Greek side of things, and so we hear him more (coughs) as Paul. But Peter, Simon, same one. Bar-Jonah is is the way a last name would put together. Bar is son of. So basically, Jonah, John, so he's Simon Johnson, right? (laughs) So what are you calling? Depends, right? So sometimes people get called different things, different places. You get called a different name at home. Your, your kids call your mom, you know, when you're out somewhere. I have a friend who, who very particularly is Robert at work, but Rob with his friends. That way he knows, like when somebody calls him and gives him a name, he can remember where you must have met me from. But that's how he's always gone you know. simon. pardon me simon so yeah but just because they kind of put him together you know simon the rock simon the rock simon the rock you know but so so simon peter declares christ as the christ jesus as the christ and and <laughs> jesus says good job right the fascinating thing is what's the next verse Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid let this Lord, You'll, this shall never happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. He's gone from the rock of a foundation to a stumbling block. Right? You're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man. He thought he was. I mean, he thought he was. Peter tries hard, and and so so he's, he's like, really? Jesus, you got to be kidding. This couldn't be the way things are going to go. And so, again, that personal interaction is how he's learning and how he's becoming that, that, that icon of faith that we know. Another verse on, Jesus is talking about the things that, that the Son of Man must suffer, and he says, Truly I say to you, there are some of you who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And that gets interpreted all kinds of ways. But one of the ways that people have read this is some of you all are going to see a theophany. You're going to see God's glory. remember Moses said, God, let me see your glory. He's like, well, you you can't handle the front, you know, and let him see the back. Um, Because immediately after this, six days later, they go up to the mountain, right? Peter and James and John go up to the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus is transfigured, and and I think that that the message is that that he Peter sees the kingdom of God laid out in that vision, in that vision of what of of the the three of them together, and and Jesus lifted up and transfigured and, and showing the glory of God. Now I, I had dots before because once they're up there and they see all of this, Peter says. <clears throat> Here's a helpful guy, right? He says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernac- tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's stay. Let's hang out, right? And and Jesus doesn't say anything to that. But but he also doesn't go get the tent stuff. Because while he's still speaking, a bright cloud overshadows them, And the voice says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen. So again, so it's, Peter is, is, is impetuous in his faith. He's in the midst of the glory of the Lord. And he says, this is a good thing. Let's stay. But, but Jesus is saying, go do other things. Go out. This is after Jesus has sent the disciples out on their mission. And he's going to shortly suffer his passion, death, and resurrection. And send them out on their commission. So, so staying on the mountain is not what they were called to do. You know, it's kind of like that whole discussion when we have, we, we go and have a walk to a Emmaus or some sort of experience like that, that is profoundly uh, uh, touching us. And we'd love to stay in that moment. But we know that we have other things to go do. and And they're called to go do that. When the other disciples, James and John, heard this, the voice, they fell down on the ground and were terrified. Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eye, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This was an interesting thing to me too. It got me to thinking. Jesus didn't just say, get up. He touched. When do we see Jesus touch people? When's the only other time in Matthew that it records Jesus touching one of the disciples? We just saw it. Peter steps out of the boat and sinks. That's the only other time in Matthew that Jesus touches... One of the disciples, and to me, this was like this touch was significant because it's not a thing that he's doing all the time, and he doesn't say, you know, Jesus going around hugging the disciples. It's significant because it's not common. Well, but he's touching other people. He's touching other people. Healing, healing, right? Yeah, they're not real touchy. Yeah, and so, so it, it was. It felt important to me, and I think that part of it comes from that touch is especially comforting and empowering. Touch is an amazing thing. I'm not a touchy guy. I'm not. I'm. I'm with, with them, right? <laughs> I'm not a touchy guy. Uh, and and so I don't always get it. But for many, many, many people, that touch is way more comforting and way more energizing, and and helps them to get past the fear and to to feel what has gone on and to move forward than words would have. Right? So. I think that it's a case where Jesus knows that he needs to do an extra thing because these folks have experienced an extra thing, right? The second piece, and lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Okay, fine. Vision's over. But I think the more critical thing is it refocused them, right? For Peter and for James and for John and for Peter, especially, because we see him over and over, he's even more laser focused, on Jesus he saw no one except Jesus himself alone and I think that's part of the message of the Transfiguration that, that, that Jesus is is filled with the glory of the Lord he is the glory of the Lord and that that the law and the prophets are part of the of of it notice where they were supporting him but that our focus is on Jesus himself alone so I think that's part of that message that he kept trying to get Peter to get all these times he's talking to Peter talking to Peter this is another image of of the transfiguration what do you see different in this one from the other one on the yeah, yeah and they're not they're not just on the ground but they're also not on some giant mountain they're on the hillside there's cows right the message to me when i was looking at this was was a lot of how that experience of the glory of the lord can happen in the midst of a regular place right we got two guys in the back that are chatting we got the, the cows and the sheep. they're going off to market the time where this painting was done, they, they throw in an awful lot of, of symbolism and allegory. You'll notice that it's getting dark over here with the <laughs> darkness of, of the coming, you know, trials. Down here, that little cave in the bottom made me immediately think of the tomb. It's the only place in that picture that has these little white flowers, which I think, I can't tell exactly what they are. They look too small to be lilies, which are a symbol of resurrection, but I think that that's part of the idea. But the disciples are experiencing this transfiguration closer to their everyday. But it's no less God breaking through, and I think that's a profound thing. Peter goes on. So Peter, when he gets to when 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 he's he's on his own after uh, Jesus has ascended, Peter writes in Second Peter. He says, "For we did not follow clearly devised myths when we made known the power to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." But we had been eyewitnesses to his majesty. He's like, I saw it. Let me tell you about it. (laughs) For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory saying, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So years later, Peter is still (laughs) bathed in the experience, but moving forward to take that experience to share the glory of the Lord and the and the, the authenticity of the experience with other people. He says then, so we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this. And they say, listen to him. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by human will, but by men and women moved to the Holy Spirit moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And, and he's saying that the only way we can hear what the Spirit has to say, well, the only authentic message is that that we're hearing from the Spirit. Be careful that you're not just making stuff up, right? Now, I think that from our discussion last week, each side would say the other side is making stuff up, right? <laughs> and, and so there's where we have to prayerfully look at ourselves, are we being Peter saying, oh no, Jesus, this couldn't possibly be what you mean. When Jesus is saying, heck yeah, it is. Get in line. Or are we really listening and doing what we're called to do? And I think that that takes an awful lot of prayer and asking for God to help us to peel away ourselves so that we can see Christ directly rather than through a shadowy lens of ourselves. So what comes out of all of this? I, I think that, that, that yeah, it's we have to hold in our imaginations what the scene looked like. And how we do that is going to kind of determine how we understand it. But there's a few things that I think of. I think the thing about the touch and that personal attention are really profound. And that, that throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the, Peter's the only one of the apostles that it talks about it doesn't say he didn't touch anybody else, but it's the only one of the apostles where he actually reached out and made that touch, right? And the only one that is in direct conversation, that that directness, that direct relationship, and that personal attention that we both give and receive from God helps us helps us to move along. Yeah, that- I didn't go read everything else this week. Don't know. Yeah. You're right. Well, yep. no, don't you right Yep. Yep. Believe- yeah, really yeah, yeah. Well, and so, so the verse immediately before, tra- before the transcription. Some of you will will see the king coming to the kingdom before you die, right? And three days later, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Peter took this, and it continued to give him courage. That experience, that mountaintop experience, we call it that, gave him courage to continue his ministry. Throughout his life, even in spite of a lot of ugliness, right? I saw a cartoon yesterday where it was, it was a disciple going for a job interview. And Jesus is sitting across the desk and he says, previous occupation, fisherman. And they go through the questions and, and the, the apostle says, chances for advancement? And he goes, nasty, messy martyrdom. And the apostle's like, ah, ah. And Jesus goes, you're hired, you know? <laughs> so, you know, so it, it's it's not necessarily an easy, an easy time. And even with that experience, Peter still didn't always get it right. He tried, but he still let stuff get in his way. And then he allowed himself to be corrected, right? He got it right with the, the vision of the, the food and the animals coming down from the sheet, that everything is clean, but then he goes and starts making rules of who can and who can't be. And he doesn't go hang out with the Gentiles. And then Paul gets mad at him and they have a discussion and they're back on track. Of course, that was Paul's account of it all. <laughs> he sometimes let himself get in Jesus' way, but he also allowed himself to be corrected. And, and there's this, this meme going around that had a useful quote. It says, A master has failed more times than a beginner has even tried. Right, he kept getting out there. He'd screw up. He'd let himself be corrected, and he'd keep going. He got it right more times than he got it wrong. Right, and and I think that that means perhaps he was transfigured as well—not transfigured as in made into the glory of God, but chained. And it gave him strength to continue regardless of the circumstance. There's an apocryphal story that says that Peter in Rome at the end of his life hears that they're looking for him and he has to get out of town. And so he's his, he let his followers talk him into getting out of town. And so he gets out of town and he's walking out, out of Rome and he encounters Jesus on the road and he says, Quo Vetus Domine, where are you going, Lord? Like, not like, wow, what are you doing here? But like, where are you going? And Jesus says, I'm going back to be Rome to be crucified for you again. Right. And so Peter says, okay, fine. And goes back and faces the martyrdom that was in line for him. Right. Apocryphal story, but I mean, it's still part of that, that he was strengthened by that direct contact and direct touch with Jesus. Continued, Because Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up, do not be afraid. And lifting their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone with a focus. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you so much for this day and this time together. This is a passage in, in your word that perplexes us. We don't know what to do with it. It's it's otherworldly. It's hard to understand We think that perhaps we're missing some pieces as we try to understand it, but we do hear that focus that you give to. You call us to not be afraid. You call us to have trust in you. You call us to keep our eyes on you alone and to go forward, to do those things that you call us to do every day. Help us to maintain that personal relationship and help us to help other people to grow that relationship. Be with us as we head out into your world today and to come back again to strengthen each other. All this we ask in your name. Thank you, Scott. We always love your lessons and go away with um, more knowledge than we had before, if we can remember it. And also, this clergystuff.com, they had a little fun with Peter. Yeah. It says here that Peter was kind of, this is amazing and terrifying. Make it stop. bless Bill build tents. <laughs> and um, so anyway, they had a little fun. And anyway. They, Anyway, a hergystuff.com if you ever need anything. All right, words of wisdom. How cool, my word, Not, I don't know who this came from. Anyway, our, how cool is it that the same God who created mountains, oceans, and galaxies looked at you and thought the world needed one of you? God bless you. God loves you. Have a great week.